0: another. All right. Hebrews chapter nine. Let, and uh, if you don't have an outline, we have outlines available. And we also have Bibles on the back table. If you don't have a Bible in your hand, how do you know I'm not making this up? Amen. It's a good to have a Bible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our speaker. We continue to lift up Pastor Joshua as he's in Oxenard preaching in another church right now. Fill him with your spirit. Use him mightily be glorified today, we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So Hebrews, quick background again, as we know, the book of Hebrews has been pretty repetitive, but it's repetitive for a reason. And basically the book of Hebrews is written to the first century church. It was, it was a book written by a Jew to the Jews to tell them they didn't need to be Jews anymore. Amen. And what was happening in the early church is that Christians, you know, the Jewish people that were becoming Christians, and again, the Old Covenant was always pointing to Jesus. Those who recognized that Jesus was the Messiah were facing two struggles. They're being persecuted by the world. This is the time when Christians are being fed to lions and set on fire, covered in pitch and set on fire, going through a difficult time. At the same time, the temple was still there, and that was God's plan until Jesus came. And so they were being tempted to go back to the temple. Many of their family members were still going to the temple. So they'd hear that shofar blow on, a, you know, on, a, on the Sabbath and they'd see all these people going to temple and there was a temptation to at least want to cover all their bases. Well, yeah, I know that Jesus is the Messiah. I know we don't need to make sacrifices anymore. But boy, you know, I'm used to that and that's my tradition. So there was a, a, a yearning to go back to that. So this entire book, is talking to those Jewish believers. By the way, the first century church was largely Jewish believers. And by the way, I'm pro-Israel because God's pro-Israel and his word's pro-Israel. Can I get an amen to that? And God is not done with Israel. Now, as those people were being drawn back, they were being reminded that Jesus is the Messiah. So this entire book talks about Jesus is better, the supremacy of Christ. In the beginning, it said he's better than the prophets. Prophets good, Jesus better. Better than Moses, Moses used mightily by God, Jesus better. Better than the angels, angels used by the Lord, Jesus is better. The high priest who went in and made sacrifices on their behalf, used by God, Jesus is the great high priest. So it's been repeatedly reminding us that Jesus is better. Now you might be saying, well, I don't have any temptation to go back to synagogue because I never went to synagogue and I'm, I'm, most of us probably are not Jewish in heritage, but maybe you grew up in a religious system, and maybe that system and the traditions that were there, even though you've come to know that that doesn't really, isn't really how you come to know the Lord. By the way, you're not saved by the church, you are the church, and salvation only comes through Jesus Christ, amen? amen. Jesus Christ, him, risen, cruci- him crucified and risen from the dead. So as we pick up this morning, we'll continue that mindset, here's where they are. They've been exhorted. They've been encouraged. They've been strengthened. If you were here last week, I titled the message, uh, Set Your Mind on Things Above. And I talked about how things in heaven are better than what was in the tabernacle. See, the temple and the tabernacle before it was all built in a model to model what's up in heaven. But it was a temporary version of what's in heaven. Do you know that Jesus never went into the Holy of Holies and in the temple? Never. Only the high priest did. And if you'll remember, only once a year on Yom Kippur and only one man got to enter in to the Holy of Holies. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn and you and I through the shed blood of Jesus Christ can enter in to God's presence anywhere and anytime, praise God. So they were in this system where only one man and everybody would wonder what would it be like to be in the presence of God? And they would wait for that one man to come out and maybe tell them about it. And I'm so glad that we don't have to hear what other people say about having a relationship with God. We get to have a relationship with God ourselves. And so last time was set your mind on things above. And now this morning, if you have your outline, grab it. I titled the message, no middle ground. For a little while there, Bob Dylan was making Christian albums. Who remembers that? Got to say somebody. Remember that? Right? <laughs> And, he, you know, he either got faith, he got unbelief. Ain't no neutral ground. So there's no middle ground. You either know the Lord or you don't. You're either born again or you're not. You're either a saint or an ain't. Amen? And so every one of us, you either have a relationship with the Lord, or you're either a friend of God or you're an enemy of God. And there is no middle ground. And we'll see that in this morning's text. First, we're going to see there's no second chances. You know, Jesus has a, came to appear to put away sin. We're going to see the word peer used three times early on. He now is in heaven interceding on our behalf and there's a day coming when he's going to come back to take us home. It is appointed for men once to, to die and then the judgment. The results are in one out of every one person dies. Amen. And every one of us is going to die. And every one of us is going to be judged by Jesus Christ. Now, if you're born again, you will not face the great white throne judgment because he will see you through the shed, the, he sees you through his shed blood on the cross. You're born again, you'll be entered right into heaven. If you don't know the Lord, you will stand before the Lord and you will be judged by him. All will stand in judgment for Jesus. The Bible also tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That means Buddha is bowing to Jesus. It means Muhammad is bowing to Jesus. It means Joseph Smith of the Mormon church is bowing to Jesus. Charles Taze Russell, Mary Baker Eddy, all the people that created these other religions, they will all bow to Jesus. Guys, we bow to no one but Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen? We don't bow to men. We don't kiss the rings of popes. We don't elevate people with robes on. We have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And one of the things that was happening in the old covenant And the things that people do today, they put up roadblocks between you and God. Well, you can come to the Lord if you do these seven things. Guys, Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. You don't need to, there's no good works or fruit of salvation, not the source of salvation. So number one, there are no second chances. Again, we don't get reincarnated. You're not going to come back again and again until you get it right. He's appointed for man once to live and then to die and then the judgment. Here's my question. Are you ready? Are you ready? If you were to die today, where would you go? If you were to get hit by a car on the way out of here, where would you end up? Where would you spend eternity? Do you care about where you're going to spend eternity? Guys, that should be the most important thing in your life, is understanding where you're going to spend eternity. Amen? This is a vapor of time. We're going to be dead a lot longer than we're alive. Amen? And what I mean by that is, we're going to be out of these bodies a lot longer than we were in them, and we need to know where we're headed. So, number one, no second chances. Number two, all the religious rituals in the world cannot save you. How spiritual you are is irrelevant. I'm very spiritual. What does that mean? I believe in God. Demons believe and tremble. Here's what matters Do you have a relationship with the Lord? Have you been born again? Are you a new creation in Christ? Are you filled with the Spirit? Of the living God. The Old Testament sacrifices were more of a, a daily reminder of the fact that they were sinners in need of forgiveness. Now, again, it was, it, it, they called it, the word is kofar for covering that it, it was a covering in a sense pointing to the coming Messiah. But more than anything else, all those daily sacrifices reminded them every day, I'm a sinner that needs to be forgiven." I'm a sinner that the, where a sacrifice needs to be paid. Until we recognize we're sinners, we'll never see our need for a savior. How many sinners we got in the room? Okay. The only person that could, that could uh, keep his hand down is Jesus, and he's here in spirit. Amen. So Jesus is the only perfect, holy, and eternal sacrifice. And then finally, according to God's perfect will, salvation is in Christ alone. Again, there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Let's begin there in Hebrews chapter nine, picking up where we left off last week in verse 23. I'm going to go back to verse 22 uh, to give a little context. And it says there in Hebrews nine, verse 22, it says, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. And some people struggle with that as to why, why is that? Why must there be shedding of blood to be forgiveness for sin? And the reality is, God could do it any way he wanted to. But the Bible says that Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. So every one of the sacrifices that was being made was always pointing to Jesus. And so you would take a perfect lamb, had to be a spotless lamb. It couldn't have anything wrong with it firstborn, and they'd bring it in, they'd examine it, and that was the one they sacrificed. They couldn't sacrifice the run to the litter. They couldn't sacrifice something, one that was sick. Why was that? Because it all pointed to Jesus. And all that blood that was being poured out was a constant reminder that sacrifices need to be made for me to go to heaven. Now, me to be forgiven. Remember, we talked about this last couple of weeks, and we'll talk about it again. But the first time you saw the shedding of blood in the Bible was back in Genesis, when Adam and Eve were told that they, had, they could walk in the cool of the day, that everything for them was, you know, was approvable. They could do whatever they wanted to do, but don't touch that one tree. They could do anything else. They, they could talk directly to God. There was no separation. Nothing died. Plants didn't die. Animals didn't die. Nothing was killing each other because there was no sin. But we know that it didn't take long. We don't know how long, but Satan tempted them. Oh, he doesn't want you to eat of the tree because then you'll be like him. And there's the temptation that the world has is we think we can be like God. By the way, there's two undeniable facts. There is a God and you're not him. Amen. Amen. And so what happened? They went to the tree and as soon as they did, they, they were sinners and they were naked before God and they covered themselves up with leaves. And if you'll remember in the text that the Lord slayed an animal to give them skins to cover themselves, see the shedding of blood for the covering of sin has always been in the word of God. And so if you were in Jerusalem on the day of atonement, you would see blood flowing in the water, all the blood that was spilling out. So it was a bloody mess but it was always letting them know that this was a serious thing, that you're, you couldn't just be good, you couldn't just uh, do good works to be saved, that, that without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness for sin. Verse 23, looking at no second chances. Therefore, it is necessary that the copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So the copy of the things in heaven should be purified. Earthly temple, tabernacle, and copies of the heavenly could be cleansed with the blood of animals. That's how they cleanse it. When they would go in to make sacrifice, the high priest would first make a sacrifice for himself because he was a sinner. And they would sprinkle blood on the altar and all the elements. And so everything in there had to be cleansed through the shedding of blood. But notice it says there in verse 24, but Christ has not entered the place made with hands. See, Jesus never even went into the, again, into the holy place or the holy of holies. Why did he not go there? That was something that the earthly high priest did. Jesus is a greater priest and he is now on the throne in heaven where it is eternal. See, all those sacrifices they made had to be done again the next day. And it only lasted for 24 hours or so. And the next day you're making another sacrifice. And there were other sacrifices that were made once a month and some that were made once a year. And it was a constant. But when Jesus died on the cross, that all went away. He said on the cross, it is finished, paid in full. And that's why we don't drag lambs in here on Sunday. Amen? Amen? And that's why we don't need a temple. And that's why the Lord allowed the temple to be brought down by the Romans in AD 70. Why? Because we don't need the temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So Jesus, again, our relationship with him gives us an eternal sacrifice. He's in heaven itself. Now it's going to say three times. It's going to talk about him appearing. He said, now appears in the presence of God for us. Do you know that Jesus is interceding on your behalf right now? Next time you're tempted, remember that Jesus is praying for you. When you're going through a difficult time, remember that the Lord is for you. Guys, when we pray, we pray to the Father in the name of the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit, because you cannot have access to the Father apart from Jesus Christ. Amen? So we need to pray in the name of Jesus, and when we pray in the name of Jesus, we're saying that Jesus would agree with what we're praying about. So we come humbly to the Father. We come through the Son, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. Verse 25 and 26. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by sacrifice of himself. The high priest went in day after day after day, and only once a year did he get to enter into the Holy of Holies. So it was a constant sacrifice. When Jesus died on the cross, the sacrifices ended. Now, if you've got a Catholic background, we love you. I believe there are people within the Catholic Church that love Jesus, and I'm not trying to offend you, but I'm going to shoot straight. The Catholic church has a lot of false doctrine. Amen. And one of them is that every time you take communion, you're actually eating the actual body of Christ and drinking his actual blood. Well, that would be putting Jesus back on the cross every time you had communion. And first of all, that's just nonsense. Can I get an amen to that? It's a representation of his body. It's a representation of his blood. But that's why we don't have Jesus on crosses. Because he's not on the cross. He's a risen and living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. Amen? And so it's so important that we recognize we're not making that sacrifice again and again and again. I've heard people, I've heard people say, every time you sin, you put Jesus back up on the cross. No. It is finished. Amen? To it has been paid in Full. Then it says there in verse 26 again, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. When people ask you, what's the difference between Christianity and every other religion? What's the difference between those of us who are biblical, Bible believing Christians and those who may be part of one of the cults? What's the difference? The difference is that they're all trying to earn heaven. All the cults and all the false they make Jesus less and they make man more. And if you're a Muslim, you got to work your way to heaven. You got to hope you're going. And Muhammad himself, it was quoted at the end of his life that he didn't even know if he was going. I already know he didn't go, amen? Because he rejected Jesus Christ and he was the prophet of the sword that threatened to kill people and they did not confess him as a prophet. Muhammad said, Follow me, or I'll kill you. Jesus said, Follow me because I died for you. That's a different message. Amen? Amen. Now, so important to recognize as Christians that what we believe and why we believe it. First of all, we believe it because the Bible is true. And we know it is true because it's been proven archaeologically. Every time they uncover another shovel of dirt in Israel, the Word of God is proven to be true yet again. You know, not long ago, they found uh, at the bottom of the Red Sea, they found uh, remains of the chariots from the days of Egypt when the Pharaoh was chasing the children of Israel when they went across the Red Sea. And for years, people were saying, well, it wasn't the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea, and it's really low water there, and they just walked across. And I said, well, that's a greater miracle than parting of the Red Sea, because it means a bunch of people and chariots drown in two inches of water. So that doesn't work either. (laughs) Amen. So the Bible is proven to be true archaeologically. It's also been proven to be true historically. They'll say this person didn't exist. It's in the Bible. And then years later, they find, again, proof that that person existed. It's also been proven prophetically. The word of God has hundreds and hundreds of prophecies, and they're fulfilled to a T, 100% throughout the word of God. And the ones that haven't been fulfilled yet will be fulfilled in the future when Jesus comes back. So guys, we do not check our brains at the door we do not believe in spite of the evidence. We believe based on what the word of God says. Amen. And so that's why when someone says, what's the difference between you? And so, well, first of all, we have the word of God. Second of all, we have, we have the archeological evidence, historical evidence, the prophetic evidence, but we also have a risen and living savior, not a dead prophet. Amen. We can dig up the bones of Muhammad. We can dig up the bones of Buddha. We can dig up the bones of all the false false prophets. I have been to the tomb of Jesus, and he's not there. We serve a risen and living Savior. Amen? So, guys, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. We need to recognize. So they're being tempted to go back to the temple and put their faith in a high priest, their high priest that kept dying and having to be replaced, and all these sacrifices being made, and they're being tempted to go back to that when it's just a foreshadowing, all of it was pointing to Jesus. He was the one that all it all pointed to. So now Jesus has come. We don't need to run back to the temple. We need to run back to the old covenant. And I love the old Testament, by the way, come on Thursday nights. Jesus is in every chapter. It's always pointing to him, but he is the answer. He has appeared to put away our sin by the sacrifice of himself. He appeared not not to cover sin as the old covenant did, but to put it away. I've shared this with you before. You know, they they have a thing called the scapegoat. You wonder where that term came from. You know, a lot of terms you read, you you hear about come from the Bible. Someone will say, well, the writing's on the wall. I always love to say, where did that come from? Where did that saying come from? Came from the book of Daniel, amen? People make quotes like that all the time. We'll call someone a scapegoat. I'll say, well, you know where that term comes from? Most people say, no, I have no idea. Well, scapegoat, when they would make sacrifices, they would sacrifice one goat. They would take the other goat and they would confess the sins of Israel over the goat. And then they would take the goat out and they would send it out into the desert. And they would literally place people at different distances to make sure the goat kept running And it went from east to west. And the Bible tells us when Jesus died upon the cross, he separated our sin as far as the east is from the west. The Bible rocks, amen? It's so perfectly in tune with what the word of God says. And so we see that the fact that Jesus appeared not to just cover our sin, but to put it away, to separate it as far as the east is from the west. It's not the blood of bulls and goats, but the blood of our savior. See, to the Jew, no more sacrifices or focusing uh, on offerings any longer was hard for them. Because again, when you're used to it, when you've grown up with it, when you've been doing it for decades, even when it's been replaced by something greater, it's hard not to run back to it. And some of you here no doubt feel that way. I shared before that my next door neighbor in Santa Cruz, when I pastored the church there, he was a real devout Catholic and he started attending our church and he gave his life to the Lord. We baptized him and his family. And then when his kids got to a certain age, he went back to the Catholic church for a while so they could be confirmed in the Catholic church. And I'm like, bro, why are you doing that? He goes, I gotta cover all my bases. You know, just in case. And I said, Bro, Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And by the way, Jesus has all the bases covered. Amen? You don't need anything else. You don't need any rituals. There's no other things you've got to do. Now, we had a baptism yesterday. And by the way, if you haven't been baptized, you should be. Amen? Now, but baptism is not a prerequisite for salvation. But the Bible says, If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. So when people are baptized, It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, and the fact that he's risen from the dead. It's also a picture that we've died to ourselves, and we are now new creations in Christ. And so we're at Zuma Beach, and we had eight people get baptized. And that's a wonderful thing. But again, it's not necessary for salvation, but it's the fruit of salvation. And it's letting the world know that we love being identified with our Savior. Now, again, if you were being baptized into any other religion, they'd have to leave you down in the water. Because their prophet never got up. Can I get an amen? They just leave you there to drown. Why? Because only Jesus risen. Only he has risen from the dead. Only he has triumphed over sin and death. Now let's notice what it says there in verse 28. No, wait, verse 27, I'm sorry. And it was appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. I think one of the biggest lies of the devil, he's got many, he's a father of lies, is that you're gonna get another chance somehow. A lot of times, because I'm a pastor, I also work a full-time job. Here's a phone call I get a lot. Somebody who knows me that doesn't have a relationship with the Lord, but they will, somebody in their family will die. This happened with a coworker just recently. They call me up, and the first thing they want me to do is to pray for their dead relative, that their dead relative will have a chance to get into heaven, And I always try to encourage them. But the reality is, once once you die, it's too late. Amen? Amen. There are no second chances. It's appointed for all of us to die once, all of us to stand before the Lord. There is no reincarnation. You're not coming back for a second try. There is no purgatory. Amen. Amen? You close your eyes on earth, you open them up in glory. If you don't know the Lord, you open them up in a place, again, of torment after you're judged by the creator of the universe. So we all have to have this divine appointment. And we all have to determine whether we're going to accept God or reject him, because all of us will be judged. And we will not be judged by Muhammad. We will not be judged by Buddha. We will not be judged by Hare Krishna. We will not be judged by L. Ron Hubbard. Amen? We will be judged by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And here's what it comes down to. He's not going to judge whether or not you're good because we already know we're not, amen? But he's going to judge whether or not you've been adopted into his family, whether or not you've given your life to him and allowed him to pay the price for you. See, he loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. He suffered as if he lived your life so you could be rewarded as if you lived his. What a great and awesome God we serve. And to him, be all the praise and all the glory and all the, all the honor. So apart from Christ, all men will face judgment. And Jesus is the righteous judge. There's no second chances. There's no rest. There's no hope. There's only judgment. You die once, you're judged once, and you spend eternity. Now, what's, a cra- what's amazing is we know this from Luke 16, that when Lazarus and the rich man died, that Lazarus went to heaven. He was a beggar that most people look down upon, but he obviously had a relationship with the Lord. When he died, he ended up in the presence of God. When the rich man died who had rejected the Lord, he was in torment in hell. He looks across the great gulf and he sees the rich man and he says, can he dip his finger in some water and bring it to me? And he says, no. Then the rich man cries out to the Lord and says, can, can you send someone back to tell my family? I don't want them coming here. Please go tell them that this place is real. And the response of the Lord was, if they will not believe the law and the prophets, they will not believe even if an angel Guys, if they won't believe the word of God, there's nothing you can do to make people believe. People say it all the time. Well, if God would do this, then I would believe. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Amen. So it all comes down to what have you done with God's son? And the scary part about it to me, one of the many scary parts about it to me, is we know that the man that was burning in hell in Luke 16 had memory of his life on earth and he recognized Lazarus. Now, this was when they were still in Abraham's bosom. They were ushered into heaven. I do not believe people in hell can see people in heaven now. Only God knows that for sure. But here's what I do know. People in hell have memory of their life on earth. And the thing that must haunt them the most is the opportunities they had to give their life to Jesus Christ when they said no. Amen? Can you imagine being in hell for all eternity and playing in your mind over and over is the times that you were given an opportunity where the Lord brought someone into your life to speak the truth to you or you, you attended a church service like this one and you were given an opportunity to give your life to the Lord and you just said no. See, no one's going to go to hell without running over the cross of Calvary to get there. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. People get upset and go, what kind of God is that that judges people for all eternity? First of all, we all deserve hell. Amen? Amen. So it's not that we are good people that don't deserve hell. We're ungodly people that don't deserve heaven. But Jesus died for us because he loves us and he wants to redeem us and he wants to pour out his grace upon us. But while grace is offered universally, it must be accepted individually so he will force no one to go to heaven. And if we don't go to heaven, it's not God's fault, it's our fault, amen? He desires that none should perish. No, not one. It's appointed for men once to die, but after this, the judgment. I mentioned last Sunday that a very close friend of mine who was one of my, was one of my assistant pastors in Santa Cruz for 10 years, who went on to pastor another Calvary Chapel, who I, who I he either rededicated his life or I led him to the Lord in a Bible study we were having at work. And he went to heaven last, about last Saturday, I think. It's been about eight days. And you know what? I agree, you know, you think about him, you get tears in your eyes. I miss him. But heaven's better, amen? And death has no sting for the believer. Joe is struggling with cancer. He doesn't have cancer anymore. There's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more suffering. We grieve because we're still here. He's not grieving one bit because he's in a way better place. And if he could come back, he wants no part of it, amen? Now, we, we can pray that people raise people from the dead, and God can do that. God can do that. If I die, don't do that. <laughs> Heaven's better. Just let me go. Can I get an amen? I'm going to finish strong. And by the way, nobody dies too early, and nobody dies too late. We all die right on time. Amen? amen. However much time God wants to give us on this planet, and then we spend eternity in his presence. We're all going to stand before him one day. For the believer, death has no sting he will judge. He will, look, Jesus is either your judge or your savior. When you look at the cross, do you see judgment or do you see redemption? You know why people who don't know God, when all the cross is taken down off all the hillsides and they'll go to court, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to get a, get a cross taken down that they have to see when they drive by on the freeway? Because if you don't know God, it brings conviction and they feel... Judged, I feel judged. You need to be. And so do I until Jesus died on the cross for me and I gave my life to him. And now he took the judgment upon himself. Amen. So, so the cross for me is beautiful. The cross for me, even though, you know, the cross was something they didn't even speak about because it was such a heinous thing. But we look back and recognize not just the suffering of our savior, but the blessing of him being on the cross. And so when someone's got a cross around their neck, I always ask him the same thing. Does that mean something to you? What does that cross mean to you? For some people, well, it matches my earrings. (laughs) And then I get a chance to tell them it means a lot more than that. But most of the time they'll say it means everything to me. Because when we look to the cross, we recognize just how much Jesus loved us. And again, that he loved us so much he'd rather die than live without us. And it's a picture of redemption. It's a picture of forgiveness. It's a picture of the promise that when we close our eyes on earth, we're going to open them up in glory. Amen? Everyone's going to be judged. Verse 28. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait from him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Those of us who know the Lord, we know that he left heaven to come to earth. Think about the fact that he left heaven to came to earth. We don't know how great heaven is, but all I know is this. It's way better than we think. Amen? And we should not put limits on God, and we should not put limits. God is greater than you think. God is more powerful than you think. God is more gracious than you think. And we're in the presence of Almighty God. We're all going to be blown away. Amen? Our finite minds cannot grasp the greatness of our God. And heaven is greater than we think. When we get to heaven, we are going to be blown away. Now, because of the greatness of our God, because of who he is, it blows us away that he left Eternity passed and came to earth knowing that what was waiting for him here was being mocked, being scourged, being rejected, and ultimately being crucified, and knowing separation from the Father as he hung on the cross and took all of our sin upon himself. And yet he did it anyway because he loves you. Amen. Remember that the next time you're afraid to share your faith, remember that the next time that. You have an opportunity to point somebody to the Lord or the next time you hear someone curse his name. Guys, just remember the depths of his love for you and Lord, help us to be unashamed of our Savior. Jesus is a superior sacrifice. All the old covenant sacrifices, the millions of sacrifices, that was God's plan until Jesus came. And once Jesus came, that plan was no more. That was a shadow of what was coming. Why would you run back to that which has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. That's really the focus of this entire book. So point number one, no second chances. No second chances. Again, Jesus appeared to put away sin. He's appearing on our behalf in heaven, and he'll be coming back for us very, very soon. Notice it says at the end of that verse that we eagerly await. Do you eagerly await for the Lord to come back? Are you excited about Jesus coming back? Are you excited about Jesus coming back? Okay. Now, some of us, if we told the truth, we'd say, I want him to come back, but could he wait a little while? I got a vacation coming up. I haven't met the right man or woman yet. I'm still waiting for grandkids. You know, all these things that might be fine. But guys, when we get to heaven, we're going to realize how foolish it is to think that there's anything on this planet that we should be waiting for and excited about compared to being in heaven. Amen? And guys, we should be excited about the Lord coming back. And you know what? He could come back today, and that would be just, that would be just great with me. But until he does, may we be found busy about his work. So no middle ground, no second chances. Point number two, all the religious rituals in the world won't save you. Look what it says there in verse 1 of chapter 10. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. Here's what it says. All the sacrifices in the world they made, it didn't matter how many they made, it never made the the person making the sacrifice perfect. That's what that verse just said doesn't matter how many sacrifices you make, it will never make you perfect. Because you'll be a sinner who has made a sacrifice of an animal that cannot whop away your sin forever, but as a foreshadowing of the one who can. All those sacrifices were always pointing to Jesus. And until Jesus came, nobody was made perfect. Nobody was eternally forgiven. Again, they were all by faith pointing to the coming Messiah. And when Jesus came, we know that he... He left during the three days between when he, before he rose from the dead. He entered Abraham's bosom where all the Old Testament saints who had by faith made sacrifices toward the coming Messiah and believed by faith that he would come. They were then ushered into the presence of the Father. But they could not be there until Jesus died on the cross. It says in Colossians 2, So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival, or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance of which is Christ. So a shadow, all those things were taking place, were good pictures, but they were never the answer. They were pointing to the one who is. Now, When you see a shadow, it gives you an idea of what's coming, but it's nothing compared to what's coming. Amen? You can see the shadow of a person. You know, you're you're on a building, you're blocked somewhere, and you see a shadow, and you have an idea of the shape and the form of that person, but it it does not compare to when that person walks by. I remember as a kid in Orange County uh, in the summertime, first thing I remember, we never wore shoes except on Sunday. So, by the end of the summer, you know, you could walk across hot coals and you wouldn't even know it. The bottom of your feet were all black. You ran on the blacktop and you knew what to do when the lights turned on. what did you have to do when the lights turned on at night? What happened when the street lights went on? What'd you have to do? Go home. Go home. See, there's, that's my generation right there. <laughs> These kids were already home playing video games all day, but we, we were outside all day. But I remember that when we had water balloon fights, there was one place I could stand and I could see the person's shadow coming. And when the shadow came, I'd just wait till they, and then I'd just come out and just barrage them with water balloons. And it was, it was awesome until one day someone's grandma was walking by. Fortunately, it bounced off. It wasn't good. Can I get an amen? But, 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 but I didn't recognize it because shadows don't always show you what the real thing is, amen? So the shadow, it's like a picture. Uh, I'm a big, I love pictures. My family knows if you want to get me something for Christmas, give me pictures of my family. My daughter makes me these little albums of of different things. And that's what I love. I don't need anything else. I love pictures. When I had an office in my work, I now work from home. I literally had 120 pictures of my family in my cubicle. And I just love my family and I love pictures. But you know what? Seeing pictures of my family is nothing like being able to hug and kiss on them in person. Amen? And see, all the old covenant was a picture of the one who was coming. It was a foreshadowing of Jesus. It was never the answer. It was always pointing to the one who is. Why would you run back to a picture when you can have the person? Why would you run back to the shadow when you can have the the, the very person living, moving, and breathing? Amen? And that's the exhortation here is they're running back to the foreshadow. They want to run back to the sacrifices because it was their tradition. But when Jesus came, that tradition was needed no more. And God had created it. It was God's plan until Jesus came. Again, an image that is cast by an object, and when Jesus came, again, he fulfilled it all. See, the law of Moses was good. The sacrifices were good. As long as you understood the purpose, they were a foreshadow of something greater. It was always pointing to the Lord. Please pray for Rabbi Ron. Remember, when we, if you've been to the church for any length of time, we used to meet in a synagogue in Calabasas, and we lost it through COVID. And I would meet with Rabbi Ron a lot for lunch and I'm gonna, And he just reached out to me recently and we're gonna get together again. But when we'd have these conversations, I would take him back to this. So wait a minute, you still believe in the old covenant? Yes, where is your temple? Oh, where are the sacrifices? Oh, uh. how do you get to heaven? They don't know. And the sad part is they don't know because they didn't recognize that that shadow was was fulfilled by Jesus and we don't need the temple anymore. Amen? Now it's going to be rebuilt during the, the great tribulation, but we won't be here for it. That's my opinion. Some of you will disagree and that's okay. But again, the shadow can't save you. Only Jesus can. Don't run back to a religion. Don't run back to anything that you think will be the thing that will save you apart from Jesus Christ. He's not just the image of things. He is the Savior. He is the King. It says, can never be with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. Those old covenant sacrifices, why a clear picture of the Messiah could never wash away our sins permanently. It was always a foreshadowing of the one who could. Verse 2. For then, would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers once purified would have no more consciousness of sins. Here's what he's saying. If, if making a sacrifice of a lamb could take care of it, then why do they keep making sacrifices? If the price could be paid by an animal, then why would they have to keep doing it every day? And if they had made the sacrifice of an animal that was enough, they would no longer feel the condemnation of their sin knowing they'd been forgiven and they wouldn't even seek to make a sacrifice. But that's not what happened at all. They continued to make the sacrifice because they'd never had the, the, the blessing that you and I have that the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of us to let us know that we've been redeemed and forgiven. If animal sacrifice had fixed the sin problem, they could have ceased to be offered. So the worshipers, no Jew pretended to believe that even the annual atonement canceled their sin. You never saw that. Never did they think that, oh, that, Oh, it's day of atonement. Now we're done. That never happened. It was more and more sacrifice. And if anything, the religious leaders started adding more things they had to do to be saved. Oh, on the Sabbath, you can only walk this far and you can't do this and you can't, you know, and you got to tie your mint and come in. And they would do all these things, all this legalistic stuff they would add on top. And by the way, Legalists think they're the most holy people. And they'll let you know, by the way. Amen? And they say, well, I do all of these things, which proves how close I am to God. And the legalist, the Bible says, is the weaker brother. Why? Because they're adding to the cross of Calvary to somehow believe that... Now, let me describe legalism. You ready? Legalism is when you make a personal conviction something necessary for everyone else's salvation. I don't believe we should have televisions okay. And I'm all right with that. But if you go around and say, if you have a TV in your house, you're going to hell, you're a legalist and you're wrong. Can I give an amen to that? I don't believe you should, you know, have your kids go to public school. I don't believe you should do this. I don't believe. And when you start making your personal conviction, the requirement for someone else's salvation, you're a legalist. And the Pharisees were legalists in a big way. And they were adding, they have over 600 laws they must keep. To this day, talk to a, to, a, to a Jewish person who follows the Old Testament, and, and they'll tell you, I have 613 laws I must keep. And my response is always the same. How's that going, bro? How you doing with that? I know 10 of them are not keeping those. Can I get an amen? Aren't you glad that you're not going to be determined on whether or not you go to heaven, on whether or not you can keep 613 laws? We'd all be in big trouble. By the way, you would never know for sure if you're going. Amen? How many of you know for sure that you are going to heaven? Can I get a hallelujah with that? We're going to heaven. It doesn't get any better, guys. We're going to heaven. Whenever you're down around me, I said it to three people this morning that came out, they looked a little down, and go, you going to heaven? Yeah, you know what I mean? I had a flat tire, though. We're going to heaven. Heaven is better. And the sad part is, If you're trying to earn heaven, you'll never say, I'm going to heaven. If you think there's a bunch of rules you must keep, Christianity is not a hope so, it's a no so. We know by the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we are going to heaven. It says there in verse 3, But in those sacrifices, there is reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. See, I said this earlier. The real reason they continued to sacrifice was not to be redeemed, but to be reminded. No, again, it was pointing to Jesus, but it was reminding them every time, boy, I'm a sinner. You bring that lamb into your house, you watch it for four days, you take it to be sacrificed, you see that poor little thing get its throat slit and blood pouring out of it. Oh, and you realize because of my sin, that poor animal had to die. And so it was, again, a picture of Jesus who was coming, but it was a constant reminder that I'm a sinner. And by the way, I think it's good for us to be reminded that we're sinners, Amen? What does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts us. You know what he's doing? Reminding you that you're a sinner. Amen? When you sin, Holy Spirit head slap. Amen? Here's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He reminds you that you're a sinner. Now, again, it's also to correct our behavior, but also it should drive us to our knees to be thankful to God that we've been forgiven. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for the perfect. He died for sinners like you and me. Praise God for it. A reminder of their sins year after year. Again, the word for atonement is kofar. It means to cover. And again, the the covering was temporary, but Jesus has us covered for an eternity. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Final point according to God's perfect will, salvation is in Christ alone. I love this portion of Scripture for many reasons, one of which, though, is. Have you ever met somebody when I witness to, to Mormons that are pretty devout in their faith and been a Mormon for a while? They'll say, Well, you guys added to the Old Testament, and we just added to the New Testament because God, we believe that God gave us the New Testament. We also believe that God gave us the Book of Mormon. And they'll say, What's the difference? Here's the difference all over the Old Testament, you have scriptures that are pointing to Jesus and the New Testament, amen? Nowhere in the New Testament does it ever point to Joseph Smith, amen? Nowhere in the New Testament does it ever say you're gonna be God of your own planet, which the Mormons teach. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say that the God of our planet used to be a man on another planet that was so good, you got to be God on our planet. Nowhere in the New Testament or the Old Testament does it say that Jesus and Satan are brothers. The Book of Mormon teaches all of that. That's how we know that book didn't come from the Word of God because it, it, it contradicts the Word of God. And the New Testament is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. Now, here's a picture of it. Look, look, look at this here. I love this. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Now, I want you to know that this quote comes from Psalm 40. Psalm 40 is in the Old Testament, written a thousand years or so before Jesus came to earth. And what does it say here in context of sacrifices? Therefore, verse five, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. This is talking about the fact that Jesus would come in human flesh. He would leave heaven and come to earth with one main task, which is to be the sacrifice that dies on the cross, that pays for our sins. And that was written about a 1,000 years before Jesus came. Can I get an amen? Isaiah 53 describes the cross in great detail, 700 years before crucifixion existed. Psalm 22 gives a description of Jesus on the cross, again, a 1,000 years or so before Jesus ever came. It says in the Old Testament, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. It says in the Old Testament, he'll be born of a virgin. It says in the Old Testament, that he'll be raised as a Nazarene, fulfilled all by Jesus Christ, all written hundreds or thousands of years before Jesus came to earth. Guys, the Bible is his story. Amen? The Old Testament is always speaking of Jesus. A body prepared for me speaks of his incarnation, that he was going to leave heaven and come to earth. It says in verse six and seven, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will. O God. Boy, if you've got a pen, get that out and underline that verse. What does that say? In the volume of the book, what book's he talking about? It's in your lap. Can I get an amen? In the volume of this book, It says there, let me read that to you again. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. This entire book is about Jesus. All of it, amen? And throughout the word of God. Do you remember on the road to Emmaus after Jesus uh, had risen from the dead? And he's walking along the road with two of the disciples and it says that he shares with them everything concerning himself from the Old Testament. Who wants a tape of that message? Jesus explains who he is from the Old Testament as they walk on this great journey. Probably took three or four hours. And when they got to the end of it, they were holding on to Jesus and they didn't know who he was. He said he bailed himself from them. And they were holding on to the Lord and didn't want him to go because they wanted to hear more. See, this entire book is, history, is his story. It all points to the Lord. He is the answer for everything that is in the entire Bible. It's all written of him. He says, in burnt, in burnt offerings and sacrifices, you have no pleasure. See, it breaks the heart of God that because of the sinfulness of man, that sacrifices need to be made. The Lord knew it was coming, but he doesn't, you know, God knows it, but God doesn't love it. And here's the other thing that happens too. Here's another discussion you get a lot. We're doing a little bit of apologetics class this morning. But people will say to you, why would a loving God let this happen? Anybody ever heard that before? Why would a loving God let people starve to death? Why would a loving God allow my 12-year-old brother to die in a car accident? Why would a loving God... Well, first of all, if we'd obeyed a loving God, nobody would die. Amen? If we'd obeyed a loving God, there would be no sorrow, no pain, no suffering, and no death. And the reason the world is a mess is not because of God, it's because of us. It's a product of our sin nature that has brought death to the world. It's brought heartache and brought pain. Now, that being said, our God is also a God of love and grace and mercy. And it breaks his heart that people people die. But at the same time, he's given a solution that when we die here, we can spend eternity with him. Amen? And so the exhortation, as he's quoting the Old Testament that he doesn't bring, it's not joyful for him, the sacrifices for sin, but it is a requirement. Verse eight, previously saying sacrifice offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. What's he talking about? He takes away the first that he may establish the second. He took away the first covenant, the old covenant, and the old way of being obedient to the Lord towards redemption, and he's replaced it with himself. See, no longer are we under that old covenant. No longer do we need to go back to those old religious rituals and traditions. Again, God had created them for a time, but they were always pointing to Jesus. And once Jesus came, that was all done away with. I know there's a lot of repetition here, But you got to understand those first century, those first century Jewish Christians were really torn. They've gone to, some of them have gone to temple for 50 years and now they're not going anymore. And they knew that was God's plan up until then, but it was a struggle. And they were getting persecution from the world for being Christians. And then they had families saying, it won't hurt you, just come with us. And sometimes we try to have both. I want to have I want to have what the, you know, I want the rituals and all that just so I can have that as tradition in my life. And then I want Jesus too. And I want to tell you something that all this is, is a false picture of who Jesus is. Amen? And we don't need both. We only need Jesus. It says in, in Psalm 51 David said, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you do desire. You know what? Or these, O God, you do do not despise. You know what God really wants? He doesn't want a sacrifice. He wants you. The sacrifice has already been made to allow us to have intimate fellowship with God. We think we need to keep making sacrifices for God. The sacrifice has been made. We don't need to make sacrifices for God. He just wants us to enter into intimate fellowship with him. You know, the Bible says that we are, you know, it talks about the pearl of great price where the master goes and sells everything to buy a field because there's one pearl that he wants on that, on that plot of land. And that pearl is you. What does Jesus treasure? What does God the Father treasure? You. Why did Jesus come and die? Because he loves you. And you know what? We don't need to go back to old traditions. We just need to keep our eyes on the Lord and fall in love with him. It says in Isaiah, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? Says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. It says in Psalm 15, to obey is better than sacrifice. There are people in the world, you'll see them wounding themselves as worship to their gods. They'll be beating themselves or they'll be running needles through their arms. And they think that hurting themselves somehow blesses their God. And that's not what God wants of us. He, he, look, he suffered so we don't have to for our sin. Amen. Now in this life, in this world, we'll have tribulation, but give, be of good cheer because he has indeed overcome the world. He came in the volume of the book. Those who have been Again, here on Thursday nights, we see that the entire Old Testament points to him in prophecy and type, in history and poetry. Jesus is fully God, yet he submitted to do the will of the Father to come and suffer and die that we might have eternal life. And what's amazing to me is, again, and I'll challenge you. If anybody wants to challenge me, bring it. Find me a chapter in the Old Testament. I'll show you Jesus. He's in all of them, especially when you look at the context. Here's what's amazing to me. People today, here's, here's the atheist new line, I just follow the science. I just follow the science. I just follow it. Whose science are you talking about? You know what the word science means? It means knowledge. You know who's omniscience, which means all-knowing? Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen to that? And we don't believe in spite of the evidence. But they will will create sciences to try to eliminate God. If they follow the real science, they would all be believers in the Lord, amen? Amen. He created everything. He's the all-knowing, almighty, and all-powerful God. He made firm the new covenant. Look at, look at verse nine. He said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first. He established the second. He took away, he abolished, he did away with, and he established a cause to make, to make stand or to make firm. He has abolished and done away with the old covenant. He has established and made firm the new covenant for the blood of bulls and goats to the saving work of grace upon the cross of Calvary. Last verse. I love this verse. Look what it says. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ, a body of Jesus Christ, once for all. Again, let me read that. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus is crucified, no more. Sacrifices need to be made, no more. He died on the cross once for the elect. Is that what it says? Once for some. Does it say that? What does it say? Once for what? All. All. Here's the good news we're all a part of all, which means that He died for you. Salvation is often again universally, but it must be accepted individually. No more rituals. We've been saved. Our sins have been forgiven. We're going to heaven. We're being, we've been sanctified, set apart for holy use. We're seen as holy in the eyes of the Lord now and forever because of Christ. It's no more do this, do this, do this, do this. It's now done. Guys, as we will see next week, our sins have all been blotted out. We have access into the holy of holies and to end up in fellowship with God that we hold fast to our, our confession and our relationship with him. We press into fellowship. We walk by faith. So when you're tempted to feel like you gotta go do something else to somehow be valued enough to go to heaven, or you feel like you must go back to an old tradition to somehow all, have all your bases covered, you need to understand that when you do that, you're mocking what Jesus said on the cross when he said, It is finished. Guys, it's paid in full. There's nothing more for you to do, but surrender your life to him and make him not just your savior, but your Lord. Amen? So no middle ground, no second chances. All righteous rituals in the world cannot save you. And according to God's perfect will, salvation is in Christ alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. I thank you for everyone who's here today, Lord, that we would be reminded that you're enough, that you paid it all, that we would not run back to anything this world has to offer, but Lord, that we would run to you, that we would not trying to find peace and hope in our old way of life or in an old religious system, or in an old way that we relieve pain and sorrow. But Lord, we would run to you instead. Lord, as there is no middle ground, we know we have faith, we have unbelief. I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. I'm not trying to ask you to join a church or anything else, but just to give you an opportunity to confess Jesus Christ, not just as your Savior, but as your Lord. The word repent means I'm going in this direction. It's a change of heart, a change of mind. I've been walking away from the Lord and God has gripped my heart and I'm ready to turn back and surrender my life to him. And the Bible says, again, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that right now. If there's anybody here, Christians be praying for someone, anybody here that might not know the Lord. Here's an opportunity to make that confession. The confession of that rich man who was suffering and torment and wishes he had made. If you've never given your life to the Lord, you're ready to submit to him. Make him not just savior of your life, but Lord of your life. As salvation is being offered universally, you're willing to reach out and take it individually. Anybody at all, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Anybody at all. Today's the day of salvation. loves you so much, you'd rather die than live without you. Anybody. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that we're going to heaven. We thank you, Lord, that we're redeemed and forgiven. We thank you, Lord, that you are a loving, gracious, and merciful God, and you give us so much more than we deserve. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name, we pray, and all God's people said.